0: to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And this is our debut as a co-brand with Live For Live Music, so welcome to all our new listeners who are joining us.
1: Yes, welcome everybody. We uh, hope you enjoy the uh, show and we hope you uh, go back and check
0: out some of our previous interviews. Yeah, with a whole cast of characters. Colonel Bruce Hampton, in his traditional kind way, was our first guest when we were nobody. And now that we're slightly above nobody, we're, we're getting... All kinds of people. Yeah, next week we're going to have somebody. Yes, <laughs> we landed that. Although somebody's agent is a jackass.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we're we got we got to interview Brendan, and it was wonderful. In the middle, well, at the tail end of his uh, uh, there, Humphreys McGee playing the Tabernacle, and we got to go to the show last night. Uh, Rob went all oh, both nights. I just got back into
0: town last night from
2: eight holy, days of holy ship, holy ship, ship. So
1: Poor
0: Seth, man. Some of those texts I was getting toward the end there, were you, were you all right? I was all right. My,
1: my mind, my brain was turning into a blender. No, no, please, please. So when I, um, to be able to come back and, and immediately I, I got in that morning, went home, kissed my son, my wife, took a shower, went out and had an MC
0: gig, my first corporate gig. And how'd that go? How'd that start? Well, if people listen to the Chris Mitchell interview, they'll yeah. uh, they'll be able to hear about that. There's a, there's a funny thing, but you have to wait for the Chris Mitchell interview. But Seth crushed it, other than one little fiasco.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, it was definitely different from you know going from emceeing Holy Ship to emceeing a corporate gig, and then my ears were just so happy last night here in the Tabernacle. I walked in the room. Uh, my Okay, so first of all, let me paint the picture, by the way. I'm on my way back, and the Falcons just won. They're going to the next round of the playoffs, and they played in Atlanta, so the traffic's crazy. I'm skirting through all this traffic to get to the Tabernacle. Yeah, you had
0: walls of traffic coming out of the Georgia Dome, so to get to the Tabernacle, Umphreys, you had to figure out, you had to finesse to get through those lines because Atlanta... I don't know. The, the traffic thing in Atlanta. Atlanta
1: traffic. I think people get it. Walking Dead. So
0: we, <laughs> yeah, but there's also a counterintuitive way to oh, we'll go on.
1: So I, I get to the venue. I get, well, you know, I get inside, and the, it is just shaking. I mean, the energy was unreal. It was, it was it, I mean, that's the ta- a tabernacle. A good show at the tabernacle,
0: that's what you expect. Well, Humphreys McGee was, and Atlanta are like chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, they just work together. I mean, it's chocolate, fantastic. and peanut butter, more better than peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Much better. Huh, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not as healthy, but Nutella. Hmm. Nutella. Mm hmm. Well, then tell that crap. <laughs> Anyways, we want to talk to you guys. Listen, this is an interactive show. We want to hear from you email us tell us what you'd like we're going to do a show on webcasting are there is there other things you'd like to hear about are there artists that are underrepresented or overrepresented on our sh- on our show or on live for live music tell us particularly if you're clever I'm, don't none of this meathead oh i'm going to be blunt and short and funny no give us good emails give us good feedback make sure make sure someone
1: proofreads it before you send
0: it yeah Or else, you know, we'll we'll let you know. (laughs) Anyways, and it can be criticism. Actually, we prefer criticism because you learn more from criticism. I certainly do. Don't you? Yeah, since I got married, I've learned a lot. Now we don't need any, we don't need questions for our interviews though we'll do that ourselves. We can let the other websites troll their their view, their readers for questions. and this is a,
1: a web a podcast that's not just about artists, and we are going to be interviewing fans as Rob said um, but you know, a lot of industry too we're going to be interviewing um, some folks uh, that produce music festivals we'll be talking to different people that uh, that uh, do things like the insurance. Uh, yes, so what, I, I
0: what, think that, that sounds dry, people. But a person who does insurance for festivals will be a, could be a very maybe, interesting interview. Maybe we'll
1: go from the insurance person to the tax person, <laughs> and then we'll go to the librarian. <laughs>
0: Those tax people are fascinating.
1: No, but uh, on the on the web, um, on the web, on the um, streaming though, I do. Uh, I would like to talk to some of the different folks that are doing streaming. And you know, last night I was thinking uh, when I saw the. Um, um, I was thinking about some of the folks that are producing like a lot of the video content like right after the festival and like producing that, like a uh, human being.
0: Like, it would be good to talk to some of those folks as well. But seriously, we want your feedback initially most on webcasting because that's right around the corner. Ah, and where can they send that feedback? Inside Out, WTNS at com. That's uh, Inside Out WTNS works for Facebook and Twitter too. And personally on Twitter, R-S-T-N-E-R. Check yeah. me out. Come on, Check Seth. Shimoner. Out. Is I, I barely Twitter? tweet, though. You, I leave the, I'll let you tweet. tweet. Right. And you do F-Book. I don't want to be on F-Book, so thank you for that so yeah, much. You're welcome. you're welcome. Big My waste idea. of time, bunch of grandstanding. Okay, well, anyways, there's also good stuff about Facebook. Mm. Well, listen, F-book. we
1: know what you're here for, so without further ado.
0: Hey, I'm Freaks. A lot of, lot of people I dance side by side with are going to be listening to this, so hello and welcome.
1: And I apologize to you all on his behalf. I'm sure he's gotten sweaty and bumped into you
0: yeah I apologize it's it's love though It's uh, I try to glisten umph love hey, you
1: know
0: we gotta when we do the fan interview uh, let's uh let's do talk about umph love is that sure. something and you know these umphries fans they're critical so they're gonna come after us but that's okay especially if you're clever and actually insightful bring it on let us hear it don't be shy insideoutwtns at gmail.com and thank you all for listening here with here you go Here's the maestro Sitting here high above Fourteenth Street in Midtown Atlanta with Brendan Bayless, the founding member of Umphrey's McGee, of Omega Moose, of Thirty dB, of Tashi Station, and <laughs> so many others.
3: <laughs> so many others. Good to have you, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's Come a good a-
0: good time for Umphrey's as uh, they've just released Zonky, their album of mashups. They've done uh, they do annual mashups for their Halloween concerts, and they went into the studio. And uh, we'll get to that, but we, the London session is also out, recorded at Abbey Road. Check them out, and they're about to do an ambitious tour.
1: Yeah, yeah big, big tour. I mean, you've got Red Rocks in there, you've got the arena in Asheville, so that's, that's, that's big, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, crossroads you're doing, uh, Terrapin Crossroads, that is. and That's only, a small room, though. That's a it? small room, but that's <laughs> but a, a big, big
3: room in name. You know, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm wondering, because I'm just starting to get a lot of requests for that one. I oh, really? in, like play certain, you know, a like lot of play people the dead coming tunes. Of, no, people coming out of the woodwork, friends that I haven't talked to in a long time, like, hey, man, I see you're playing Terrapin Crossroads. So, I guess... uh, You've been there before, but you didn't play there, right? I've never been there. Uh, a couple of the guys went. I went out with some friends, and the other guys went down. I did not make it.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, we'd like to go back to the beginning, Brendan.
1: Well, but before, before that, Rob, okay. I wanted to mention also only
3: one night at Brooklyn Bowl. Oh, right in vegas or in new york you know, in, in uh vegas you know in 2017 i'm trying to live in the moment Seth. Uh, so i'm not trying to get ahead of myself so i haven't looked that far ahead i'm still in january <laughs> well let's or get behind january, you right yeah
1: and okay. and then also you have uh on this tour you notice you have a uh, up-and-coming band spafford
2: mm-hmm. 14 about. dates yeah with spafford
3: mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to it cool
1: all
0: right well rob where do you want to begin at the beginning or the end Let's begin at the beginning. (laughs) He was born in Annapolis, Maryland. Yeah, uh, but went through Massachusetts uh, Ending up in Indiana mainly because uh, his father. Yep, the tennis professional and coach, right? Yes Um, What do you think about moving around when you were young did that inform you
3: as a performer and songwriter later in life you think? You know, it's funny that you bring that up because the other day I was I have a leak in my roof And I was looking at it, and I was like, okay, I might have to fix. I might have to sell. I have to move. Do I stay in Chicago because it's so violent? Do I move to the sun? And I thought about, you know, do I take my kids and move them around the country? And I said to myself, my dad moved me around the country, and I think I turned out normal. So I don't know if it uh, influenced my songwriting at all because I didn't start writing music until I was 18 or 17. You didn't even pick up a guitar until high school, right? Yeah, I was Fourteen is my freshman year. My older brother came back, well, come, came back from college, meaning he came five miles down the road back <laughs> for a Christmas break, and he had his roommate's guitar, and that was the first time I actually touched one. And I tried to learn how to play Wish You Were Here, and I went boom, 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 on one string all the way up. I didn't realize you could go down the other strings. <laughs> but no, I don't think moving influenced me because... I was into sports before, I didn't, even, yeah, I wasn't even playing guitar till I was well into my South Bend.
1: And if you were into sports and your father was the, uh, such a successful coach, I imagine you probably got some good tickets.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, when we moved to Boston, I was, it was the summer that Return of the Jedi came out. So that would probably be 83, I, I wanna say. Somewhere in there. Somewhere around there. And when Carrie Fisher, God rest her soul, was gorgeous, and um, so yeah, that was right when the Celtic Larry Bird was the the Bruins were awesome. Yeah, um, Bill Buckner. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it doesn't so hurt it, anymore. <laughs> yeah, it does not hurt anymore. It's amazing what victory can do. Yes. And um, yeah, we got a lot of last minute tickets. I saw a lot of Celtics games. I saw a lot of Red Sox games. I saw Ellis Burke hit his first career home run. Yeah, but they were all last minute. They would just get passed down, and the tennis coach would get them last. Was there any
0: unspoken <laughs> pressure to be a tennis player yourself?
3: Uh, No, because I think my dad saw, it, through his career, he saw a lot of tennis parents. And he saw, you know what I mean? And He, he also saw, saw a lot of tennis elbows. He did. He a lot of elbows, good elbows. That's funny. And, uh, you sure? No, I was trying to be, <laughs> that was me being polite. <laughs> and uh, I think he saw a lot of tennis parents and saw a lot of pressure put on kids and, and didn't want to do that. And I kind of realized quickly that I was more athletic than my older brother and my little brother. And I kind of, it kind of came quickly to me. I was playing tournaments, but the minute I started playing guitar, it was done. It was like the next day I was put up Hendrix on my wall and I was like, goodbye, Yvonne Lendl. But you're a pretty good tennis player. We used to do
1: tennis tournaments at Dominican or Mexican, Mayan, or any of the holidays. Of them, but we yeah. had to stop because you just
3: kept. We like, would make these trophies, and then he would take them home. Well, <laughs> in fairness to everybody, I was violently hungover every time. That was, the- <laughs> and I'd kind of pull myself out of the tournament after you know, one or two rounds because I just couldn't even see straight. Then that's when you uh, started saying, okay,
1: next year's tournament, hair of the dog, dude, you gotta bring some cervezas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, all right,
3: all right. Cervezas, por favor.
0: So you're living in South Bend. Mm -hmm. Do you have any reservations of going to Notre Dame? You already lived there. Your father coached there. I mean, what was that decision-making process?
3: Well, when I was, so I went to grade school, high school, and college on the same street, which sucked. So I really wanted to, to leave as soon as possible. So when I was a senior in high school, I'm literally looking out the window at Notre Dame, literally across the street. I'm like everyone's talking about graduating and moving on with life and going on to bigger and better things. I'm like I'm not going anywhere. So I tried not to go. And my parents didn't tell me, but there's a they have a sister school in Portland, Oregon. So I could have gone to Portland for free tuition but they didn't tell me hmm. they wanted me <laughs> yeah. to stay so i uh i tried to drop out my freshman year i tried to drop out my sophomore year and then at the beginning of my f- senior year i tried to drop out my dad said listen if you just do this i will never ask you to do anything again so now I, i'm really happy i didn't realize the scope of notre dame's influence uh it's it's all over the place and well,
0: Speaking of the scope, I've speak, spoken with you about your father before, and you speak glowingly of him, but I didn't realize the scope of him. Oh, my gosh. How many? Two National Coach of the Year championships, five Big East coach. He had uh, took you guys into the tournament 21 out of 22 seasons?
3: Yeah, he's like career career wins. He's 700 and something stupid, and I think he's ranked seventh all-time active or living coaches. Wow. Any
0: cues you've taken from him that have uh, helped you in your in your career? Career or fatherhood.
3: Uh, Damn. fatherhood, definitely. Um, Brendan's a f- uh, father of three, father of three. And hopefully that's it. I love them all. Three seems like enough. I don't want to share my love with any other kids. Yeah. That's so. a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, three's company. <laughs> um, three's plenty. Uh, I, as far as, uh, career wise, I think he was the one thing he rubbed off, uh, I think on me the right way was just ethically doing it. Doing everything in a way that if it all stopped, you could walk away and hold your head high and not have to worry about what people said or talked or said, because you know, you know you did it morally and ethically correctly, even though that might mean you didn't have as much success because you didn't cheat. So I'd rather do it clean, walk away, and feel good about it than stab somebody in the back to make them, uh, you know, another rung up the ladder so to speak. So I think I got that from him.
1: What about uh, the style of coaching he did? Does I wonder if that had any effect in the way that you constantly look forward at things and are constantly, you know, moving, moving, seeing the bigger picture forward, forward. and upward.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably I've never really thought about it that much. I think um, I, he's, he's definitely an influence on me. And I look at all uh, my other brothers and sisters and in a weird way, when I was 18, my sister calls it my Jim Morrison phase. When I was 14 or 15, better was... then than than your later 20s, <laughs> totally, right? So there was a point where I was really upset with him. I he traveled so much that I could I'd come home and I could tell if his keys were on the hutch that he was in town, or if his wallet was there he was in town, and if it was and he'd be gone for a week at a time or two weeks recruiting, and I started to resent that, you know, and I, I would well you know why can't my dad be around blah 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 and maybe that's just how all kids to get mad at their dads but and I grew my hair out and I started partying and I just went the opposite way of of him and now more than any of his kids I'm more like him than I have all these like I go to Starbucks if I can every day I go to the grocery store as much as possible just because I get to like walk in the aisle and not have to think about anything but what am I going to eat
0: I wear headphones in the grocery store. Are you? you wear yeah. Head-
3: he wears He's, headphones when he drives. Well, yeah, that's well, once in a while. <laughs> I like putting in headphones even if I'm not listening to anything, so people just don't talk to me. Wow. That's like LeBron James kind of stuff. Well, no. <laughs> Remember he was staying in
0: your hotel oh, when you were here that's, for New Year's? That's and right. he came in and just blazed right by everybody with those
3: headphones on, looking straight ahead. Mm-hmm. It's a good excuse, even if you're not listening to anything. I mean, I one time went on a vacation with my wife to west palm florida for just two days real quick and just trying to get away and we went to the grocery store one of my favorite places in the world and i was in the probably the frozen food section or somebody and somebody had came up and asked me for a photograph and i was like i i don't know how to feel about my wife was excited she was like this is all i was like no this is not good (laughs) but yeah, that's the kind of thing where I think you have to be the celebrity. To, and I'm
0: sorry, but it is true. Um, you have to be the guy to understand how uncomfortable it can be. Because to the person, it's just one time. It's just me. What's the big deal? But to someone, it's a, it's, it is invasive, really.
3: Yeah, well, you know, every time I've met somebody famous, and I've, I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of famous people and in the right room at the right time, God knows why. But the only ones that really stick out were the, can we cuss? On this? I, it's a podcast. say, Mother You fucker. speak freely. Fucking A, man. The uh, <laughs> the, only, the ones that stick out the most were the assholes, or the ones that were really short. And I've I've met some people and had conversations where they're like, yeah, I met you once, and you were a real asshole. And I was trying to think about it. I was like, you know, maybe you caught me on a bad day. You know, maybe I was going through a divorce or something, or maybe I had to take a shit. And you just, the timing was really bad, you know. So I try and keep that in mind because... It's true. The the you can meet a hundred people, yeah. and the the one bad experience is the one that. Give us one you. bad experience you had, just one. Uh, Steve Miller. Really, that's yeah. shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, it a Christmas jam? Or? Yeah, it was a Christmas jam. Um, and I heard he was talking down to the staff. He, to the yeah, he walked on crew. stage, and you know he he was really short with everybody in the room from his band to the janitor to the bartender. And at one point during sound check he just like yelled at the sound guy. like, him down, him down, him down, everybody down, me way up. And I was like, okay, he's having a bad day. And that wasn't it. And then the next day I was walking down, I was walking up the stairs in a stairwell and he was coming down the stairwell. So it was just him and I all by, our, nobody in the room. Just him and I. I look at him and I go, hey, how you doing? And he just looked at me and he looked down and just kept walking. Didn't say a word. I was like, okay. And there's a guy who should be happy because he always kept his songwriting. He writes. took the money and he ran. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> you know?
0: So, I mean, if anyone shouldn't be bitter, it's him. But anyways, I want to stay on because let's go to South Bend in the, 90, uh, in the late 90s because a lot of your newer, younger fans need to know that Alibaba's Tahini is a big part of the history of
3: Humphreys McGee. Oh, yeah. Um, did they form first or did you? I think, well, with Umphreys, they were bef- I think they were before Umphreys because I was playing with Pony in a band called Tashi Station, obviously, Star Wars reference. And I believe that Alibaba's was, was a, yeah, they were playing first. And then shortly after, uh, yeah, they were in 97.
1: And there's, like, only a few venues that the bands were playing at that time, too, right? Yeah, tiny little town.
3: Yeah, it was um, Mickey's Pub, which is a 100-person cap, maybe. But we'd you know cram 100, 200 people in there. Mickey's Pub, Lula's Cafe, which was, like, a coffee shop. And then we had to, like, make our own venues or rent out, like, an Elks Lodge or something, you know? Or play outside for free on campus or something so yeah Alibaba was definitely playing around and and um i actually took two guitar lessons from jake in the very beginning and then i quickly realized how good he was and then i realized that i needed to get him to join my team because i didn't want to compete <laughs> <laughs> it's like um if you can't beat him join him or make him join you Right,
0: but his bandmate Carl Engelman's a good friend of yours, and used mm-hmm. to this day play a bunch of his songs. I'd love to see you play more of his songs. Right? Um, was that was there any weirdness or awkwardness in all that, or was well, it all
3: Carl? Sweet? Carl left. Carl, I think, was chasing chasing love, hmm. and he left. South Bend, right? He left South Bend, and I remember this is funny because Jake, Carl, and Crojo was a trio, came over to my house when I was living with Andy and so we're so umfrey's was happening and um jake sat down they all the three of them came over because they were playing right down the street like some outside on the river and i was like what's up and jake sat down he's like well carl's quitting the band and i was, I, was, I was in the room it's like okay there's only four people three of them are in the band and i'm not so <laughs> what do I, I was like all right uh okay so uh so you guys want to smoke some weed? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to do? I didn't know how to change the subject. So, right. I, so yeah, he left, and then um, uh, Khalil, I, Khalil came in and replaced him, and that only that didn't last for too long. And then, basically, Humphreys moved to Chicago. And it's funny, because I remember bringing this up when it was Miro. We were just a, a five-piece, and I remember bringing up, let's let's ask Jake to join the band. And... It didn't really, it initially didn't sell to everybody. And I remember Miro particularly was like, well, we're not making any money. We can't even afford to live where we're living. How come, can, we can't afford to to pay anybody else. It's a legitimate point. Which is a great point. So I went home and I called, I called Jake anyway. <laughs> and I said, hey, I want you to join the band. I'm going to send you a bunch of music, come learn it, come out and sit in and, and I, Kind of made it happen. And
0: I think it says a lot about you that you were willing to surrender to some extent, particularly with regard to solos, control of the band. Because I worked for a band in the 90s who remained nameless. And the lead guy did a similar thing. Let, let a couple guys join the band mm-hmm. and surrender control. And it, that, it led to the implosion of the band. Those guys started to try to take over the band. And the fact that you were able to trust him that that wouldn't happen, that it would be for the, for the good of the band in the long run, says
3: a lot about you. Were you did you have any reservations at all about it at the time? I mean, sure. At some point, you know, uh, there's this is working, why mess with it? But then, in my mind, it was, if we can get him in, then I don't see what's going to stop us, as long as we can keep it together. Because that, for me, and I guess the quote I I can associate with is Drew, our guitar tech, Drew Queen, he has this little card, and it's right by the tuner on his workstation, and it says, um, there's no limit to what you can achieve if you don't mind who gets the a, acclaim. I, I can't, that's not... It, there's, there's no a, limit to what you can achieve if you don't care about who gets the acclaim. The credit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's pretty much, if you don't, I mean, and that kind of hit it on the head for me. It was like, I, I don't need, I'm happy to go to the grocery store and not be recognized. I don't care about that. I don't want to go out to dinner and be interrupted. I, I don't want that. I don't... Do interviews, right? So, <laughs> I'm happy to to let somebody else take the light, you know, because I just don't want to get a real job. Selfishly, so at the time Joel was managing the band. <laughs> I, was, I was about to ask. I was about to guess about the. He was uh, booking the band, and every settlement was in his uh, the tax ID number was his social security number. Oh wow! So we got audited twice, and he got he got audited. <laughs> Everything went okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, and thankfully. How long
1: has Vince been managing you guys then?
3: Uh, let see. So we formed, and our first gig was about 19 years ago. So, yeah, I'm looking at my watch. Um, <laughs> 1998. And we put out an album in May of 98. And Vince helped by designing the graphic design and all that. And we got our first 1,000 copies. And I remember we opened the box, and we, I pulled it out, and it said U.M., P. R. E. Y. S. McGee, Umprees McGee, <laughs> and Vince is a English major. So, so that was red flag one, and um, so he basically helped. It. He got us our first Chicago gig. He was making us flyers. He was making posters. He was just help. He wanted to be a part of it, and then finally, about we moved to Chicago in 2000, and I remember we had a meeting, and he basically came over with a st- a stack of paper and he gave everybody like seven pages and he's everyone okay we're sitting down give us your spiel and he's like this is basically my my I'm selling you you need me to manage you because this is I'm doing this 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 This. so might as well just call me the manager because I don't want to work for AT&T anymore anyway so we all okay you know we're friends we grow you know like you're already doing it um so yeah, he, I guess since 2000, officially, but he's been a part of it since, since the, the beginning.
1: Which is, is a big thing. A lot of bands that get to the level that you guys are at uh, go through a lot of changes with management, go through obviously a lot of changes with booking. You start with one booking agent, get kind of with a the larger company, and all that stuff gets, you know, gets developed and, and moved around. But with the management, uh, it's nice to see bands that really stick with their manager and, and the manager continues to produce what the band needs.
3: Yeah, well, we're in a good situation because Kevin Browning now has kind of shifted into him, he and, Ke- and Vince are like co-managing. Kevin used to run front of, front of house for us. I'm sure you you both know him. Absolutely. And uh, I remember, uh, it was maybe five, yeah, his daughter was born in May, she's five, I want to say. Anyway, she was, his wife was pregnant and he called a meeting and was like, guys, I need to get off the road, I'm starting a family and I... I remember saying like, "Oh, it must be nice," you know, because I'm gonna always take that cheap shot when I can. But um, he he basically was like, uh, "I'm gonna get off the road, but I'm gonna do it in a way that is gonna make this thing even better. I'm gonna replace myself with somebody more qualified than I am." And Chris Mitchell, which is great, it's is a perfect fit. And Kevin said, "My goal in the first year of me being home is I'm gonna make our company a hundred grand more than we did last year," and he did. Wow and so um we're really lucky in that the two guys that are running the ship from the office i trust and i also am at the point with them where i can get in a fight with them and yell at them about you're not going to really put us in this room again i thought we you know i can scream about something and then i can turn that off and say okay let's go get tacos
0: we have a little of that, don't we, uh, We
3: have a lot of that.
1: <laughs> um, we'll sp- Spock, uh about families and stuff, though, you had some, uh, Rob, you had a couple things you well, wanted to bring up. One more Crembo. thing about,
0: okay. it, uh, you always make fun of the name, Humphreys and McGee, and you name yeah. them. Yeah. But yeah. in <laughs> retrospect, at this point, in the internet age, from a search perspective, there's not a lot of things close to it. So, I mean, it's distinctive, and I think that's a good thing. Would you agree at this point? Have you come around on that at all?
3: Uh, I'm never going to come around on that. But, I, I mean, Jake has mentioned that it's very Googleable, Right. And... It's so hard to say. Three Googleable, times fast. Googleable, Googleable. But um, to this day, I'm convinced if we had a real band, like a good band name and great hair, we'd be bigger.
0: <laughs> but is not the gradual growth? Yeah, it's, part of the beauty of what you have now.
3: Yeah, it's a yeah, and I wouldn't change anything except the name. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I remember
1: being a promoter in 2000 maybe two thousand one or two, somewhere around there. And there was a span out of Chicago, Humphreys McGee and all I all I remember is the promotion I was a promoter so the promotion element that was with it was you know their manager makes all these free CDs and gives them out and so if you book them they'll you know and oh, oh by the way if you book them they also have this really crazy following even though it's still small but it so we, we get you guys to come to Tallahassee you brought the big hat which what's the story I have to ask you the story behind the big hat too but
3: that was just somebody I don't know oh Don was wearing it at the merch table or something right there was
1: just something about the you guys had this big hat that traveled around at shows the Don Richards yeah former tour manager, manager. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: um, but yeah, I mean, that was,
1: that was the thing as a young jam band, you guys had, the, you had this following, you had, yeah, the name was a little, little hard to pronounce, a, a little, a little confusing. Um, but, but you know, you, 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 I mean, from Chicago to, you know, Northern Florida and you probably had about 20 people that, that were from Chicago there.
3: Yep. We, we, that was used, early. we used to saturate at markets in advance. So first time we played Colorado, we sold out a room. It was 200 people. And we'd never even been in the state, and I think it was because we sent CDs out, for, and we just gave the music out. We would send; we had street teams. We'd send twenty here, thirty there, and just give it away. Yep.
1: And if if you didn't have street team, you'd have a young promoter that would be like, you know, if if a, if a young promoter gets fifty CDs to give away, they know who to give them to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That was. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with your early success, though.
3: Yeah, and you're right. I'm happy about the slow growth because um, I think. I kind of have a, a theory that however long it takes you to get there is how long you're going to be there because anybody that has really popped up overnight, they kind of disappear quickly too. Well, That's why they call it pop. Yeah. Well, Mike, <laughs> and Seth raves
0: about the Mark Maron, Derek trucks interview. And one of the ways that distinguished Derek from Joe Bonamassa and some of these others was that he didn't go for the little hit song or whatever, because mm-hmm. that can wear down on you with time. You can become the blue on black guy. You can become this or that, you know, and Derek always avoided that and, and
3: you know, kept from being a dog and pony show or something. Or it's like, funny. Spinning you, plates. You bring up the one, the one hit it was we were friends with Huey Lewis and, and played a lot with him. And one time we were trying to figure out a set list of, we were doing Huey Lewis and the rumors and we were the rumors instead of the news. And we're like, let's do power of love. He's like, no, absolutely not. He's like, I, if I would have known when we were writing that song, the five minutes we took to write it and how many times I'd have to play it. I don't know if I ever would have. Right and it's funny because he came to South Bend and played a show and did an interview in the South Bend Tribune was talking about Humphreys McGee and I brought my parents backstage and he was awesome and during the show at the end of the night it was a great line He's like ugh we're running out of time so many hits so little time what are you gonna do <laughs> <laughs>
0: he did their sports album here in Atlanta too, really
3: oh really
1: that was just a little bit though just the the beginning part we're gonna do another part too to uh finish this um
0: just a little taste
1: a little taste um but yeah that uh that was really nice of him I know he's he's real busy he's got a lot of friends in town he wants to see and you know relax between the gigs and and quite frankly
0: he doesn't do many interviews right Uh, what I was gonna say is just before we started it we had a conversation about how much he didn't like interviews but then about 10 minutes in interview, he's smiling and seeming to really enjoy himself. I think that's one of the more gratifying things that's happened in our 23-episode career at this point. Yeah. It, 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 I, it's one of the things I like. You know, when,
1: when Rob and I prepare for these interviews, we Rob does a lot of research. I prepare and then fill Seth in. I, I do some research to Rob. And Come I'm thinking on.
0: about doing what Merrill Hoge on NFL Matchup, which is the only NFL pregame show worth watching. He, every week, talks about how many hours of film study he does. Hmm. Should I start doing that, just to remind you how much work I'm putting into these? Oh, God. Rob, I know you do work. Although, I got to admit, with Brandon, I've
1: been doing it for a long time, for like 10 years, right? Yes, you have. Rob is a big Umphreys fan, if you didn't realize that, folks. And you can probably tell just by looking at our episodes. And you can probably tell kind
0: of... I like, too. Well, I'll say this. Of course, the big bands are, are awesome. Grateful Dead, Bob Weir, and all that stuff. Nothing against them. But I'll tell you, as far as a band seeing them regularly again and again and again and then keeping it interesting, I can't think of anyone better than Humphreys McGee. Yeah, they, they, they're they great. They're great. Last year, they performed over 300 different songs. Wow. I think that's twice as many as The Dead in their, in their most... Uh,
1: but they're not only uh, are they a great band, but they're very good musicians and forward thinkers, and, I, and that's something I've discovered from this research and interviews that we've done with the band. It, it, the whole project, from management, you know, to visual, to audio, to
0: and they musicians. do something that's very much in the vein of our first guest and our show guru, Colonel Bruce Hampton. He always says, "Take your craft seriously and not yourself." And if there's any band that embodies that, it's Humphrey's McGee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Um, but yeah, a lot, lot to learn. That was a really good interview, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy part Actually, two. Actually, why don't you
0: let other people... I, I noticed I did that the other day, too. Oh, yeah. Hey, if you... What, we whatever. should stop calling our own memories good.
1: Well, I, I personally enjoyed... Let me say it It was that definitely way. an enjoyable interview. I enjoyed yes. that
0: interview. Let's leave it up to the Humphreys fans to uh, slam us and tell us how wonderful it wasn't.
1: Speaking of good interviews, did I ever tell you about the... Did we ever... No, we did. Uh, we did talk about it, but then it got lost in the... Um, computer blah anyway the point Could is you is,
0: have more of a prelude to this please? yes uh,
1: derek truck's interview mark maron. on mark maron that was fantastic i, uh, I, I want to bring up the point about that interview that really uh, when i was listening to it i was getting chills because there's so many moments where he mark's talking to derek and i'm like oh ask him this and then he asked him that or i'm like thinking like oh you, you guys got to bring up blake you know his manager's great and li- literally after i think that he does. And it was just like, it was really cool. But the, the whole interview was great. And, oh man, I, you know, it's one of those interviews also that I really want to go back to with, with, and just every time Derek talks about some, both him and Mark were talking about these albums and these musicians that, you know, they're, they're not just talking about the famous ones. They're going back and talking about all these
0: blues and. Well, also the East uh, Indian classical music. And I think that's a big part of what informs Derek's playing and why he has grown as a player while other players around him are still good, but not growing like he is.
1: Um, well, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I'm, I'm a fan, and I would love to see a Derek Trucks band
0: reunion, just saying. While we're talking about, of course, while we're talking about Mark Marin, though, also David Bromberg he had on. That's a great one. That was
1: a good one, too. And Bromberg, uh, where did I see Brom? Oh, Bromberg's going to be doing the Big Blues Bender this year. Remember that event that I can did I last go? year? Can you get, can, get me in on that? I want to go now. Hey, AJ, if you're listening, which AJ. you're not, he's not listening, but if he was listening... Or, hey, you know what? If you're listening
0: and you know AJ, tell him to bring tell Inside AJ, Out. Yeah, Inside Out should broadcast from there, and I'll do I'll do a Bromberg interview that you won't soon forget, I guarantee you. Also, Mark Maron had Bruce Springsteen, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan. A lot of music listen. lately he's had. Well, the music world has gotten the vibe that he does a good job. He does a really good job. Like I've yeah. said on the show before, he has made being a fanboy cool. There's a thing in journalism where you're not supposed to be a fanboy. And to a certain extent, it's true, but yeah. I think it's taken to too much of an extreme. But he's also a good, he's an entertainer. So it's not yes. just a fanboy. He's an entertainer. I'm not reducing him to that. I'm just saying that there's an element of that to what he does that a journalist generally avoid. And I think it's one of the things that's made him unique. You know, it's mm-hmm. outside the A lot of times in journalism, the, these people can get very inside the box, you know. And it's the ones that break out of it that often do something new and fresh. So it's like breaking outside of the box to get inside the circle? No, not really.
1: Okay. Well, on that note, uh, let's leave you with some good notes here. Uh, What do you want to... We'll, we'll play some Umphreys. Want to close it out with some Umphreys? Would that be a good idea? Let's do it, Mr. Seth. All right. Thanks, everybody. And again, for our Live for Live Music listener, uh, new listeners, thank you all for checking us out. Uh, be sure. And Umphreys fans, thank you for checking us out as well. And Part Kunj. Two. And Kunj. Absolutely. Big
0: thanks to Kunj. I hung out with him in Locken. I think that was the beginning of all this. And uh, next week. What a good guy. What a fun guy. Yeah, he's great. And his girlfriend's great, too. LiveforLiveMusic.com.
1: Check it out. And uh, Rob, we'll see you in two weeks. All right. Thanks, everybody.
2: Turn your back in a forfeit way To take out loans no one could pay